Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Slaying the Giants. That was the name of a week in the campus ministry that I participated in while I was at, in college at MSU. Slaying the Giants. And this was a week that was dedicated to slaying the giants that we found in our lives. The temptations, the fears, the sins, those big things in our lives that we wanted to get rid of. Now, this was our week that we were going to really tackle them, whether it be you know, the, all the big temptation of, of partying with friends and going out drinking and, and doing more than things that we ought not to do, or whether it be uh, uh, obsessing over grades and making that something that was way too important in our lives, whether it be watching pornography or spending time on the internet in ways that we know we shouldn't be doing, whatever it might be, whatever those giants were in your lives, this was the week that we were going to devote to killing, to slaying those giants. And how do you do it? Well, it's very simple. You do it by wielding the sword of the Spirit. So you would memorize some scripture, and then with some, by doubling down your commitment, by using your, your human will and the wisdom of God's word, you would be able to get rid of these fears, these sins, these temptations, perhaps once and for all. And in so doing, we'd really just be following in the footsteps of Jesus. See, in the gospel today, we see Jesus as the ultimate example in this. The ultimate example. Because what does Jesus do when he goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with the evil one? He's the one who's quoting the word of God, who's wielding that sword of the spirit to take down the greater Goliath, the most fearsome giant of all, Satan. And if Jesus can do it, then if you following his example, following in his footsteps, you can do it too. At least that was the idea of slaying the giants week. And we just need to follow Jesus' perfect example, use the word of God, really commit. Then we should be able to overcome the evil one. But what if, what if Satan himself quote scripture. <laughs> what if the evil one is able to wield that sword of the spirit as well, and perhaps even more deftly? Then you've got like a couple of magicians that are both doing the same tricks back and forth, back and forth. Do you reach a stalemate? Or is it something even worse than that? I mean, we see this in the gospel reading, as Jesus counters Satan's temptations with the word of God. He's quoting to him from uh, Deuteronomy. Three times Satan comes at Jesus as he's leading him up to the pinnacle of the temple, calling him to, to jump down and trust in the Father to, to save him, calling on him to create bread from the stones. And again and again, Jesus uses that word of God to battle back the temptations of the evil one. And it looks like he's got the devil on the ropes. When at that point, Satan brings out some scripture of his own. Maybe you notice this, those words that are kind of indented in our gospel reading, Satan is quoting from one of the Psalms, from Psalm 91. He uses the Bible's own words against Jesus. And commentators, as they get kind of squeamish about this, they'll point out, well, yeah, but um, Satan left out the phrase, he'll guard you in all your ways, see? And so he wasn't quite getting it accurate. Fair enough, but still, Satan is quoting from Scripture. He's using what supposedly is our greatest force against him, so how can we be certain that it's going to enable us to overpower him? 
And in fact, this isn't just some isolated incident. We see this in other places in the scriptures when Satan's minions, if they're not exactly quoting from the Bible, nevertheless, they are able to say to Jesus, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. They know who Jesus truly is. They are able to see him for that. And you think throughout the history of the church, if not talking about the demons and, and the devil himself, you think of the heretics, the ones who were speaking against God, and yet how were they doing it so often? They were doing it by quoting the Bible. And still, even in our own day, you know how folks are able to draw Scripture out of context and use it in any old way. And so, if that's the case, how can we be certain that you and I, simply by dropping a verse of the Bible, are going to be able to slay the giants in our own lives? No, it's not quite that simple, is it? And in fact, we find ourselves going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the evil one and, and think that this is all that we have to do, we ourselves might be slayed. It's not to say that knowing Scripture, memorizing Scripture, isn't a good and an important thing. Of course it is. But you and I need something more than simply having a, a memory verse in our own human will. Which has had me thinking this week, about the story of Little Red Riding Hood, or as it was originally known, Little Red Cap, as the Brothers Grimm first wrote it. Now, you probably know the story the same way that I do, through Disney and through your golden books and so forth. And in the Disney cartoon in particular, it shows how uh, Little Red Riding Hood is making her way through the woods when she comes upon her grandma's cottage, and there's this big bad wolf, right? And the big bad wolf has thrown grandma out of the way, tossed her into the closet, and now here is Little Red Riding Hood. And what is she going to do? Oh no, here comes this big bad wolf. Oh, the, how big your eyes are. Oh, the better to see you with, my dear, right? Oh, but she figures out who this is. This is the wolf. And now Little Red Riding Hood, she's able to outwit and outlast that angry wolf in the cartoon. She's running around, running circles around the wolf because, oh, that silly old wolf. He's not going to be able to catch Little Red Riding Hood until finally she sets free her grandma. They wait out the wolf until finally someone drives that dumb old wolf away. I think this is the way that many of us think about our, our Christian life and encountering temptations. Oh, that big bad wolf of the devil, but he's just so silly. He's more like Wile E. Coyote, really. Remember Wile E. Coyote from the cartoons? And you and I, we're like the roadrunner, and we're dropping our Bible anvil on, you know, the, the dumb wolf, the devil's head, and showing him, you silly devil, didn't you know that I could quote scripture? And we run circles around him, we outwit him, we outlast him, we show we've got what it takes. But it's interesting as the Brothers Grimm first wrote the story of Little Red Cap, that's not how it unfolded. In fact, what happens in the story is that Little Red Cap's mother tells her, don't stray from the path because it can be dangerous out there. Go right to your grandmother's house. And what does Little Red Cap say? I promise that I will be obedient. You can count on me, mother. Surely I will go directly to grandma's house. And she starts making her way along the path, and there's that big bad wolf. And the big bad wolf right there, he says, hey, look at these beautiful flowers over here. Wouldn't your grandma love to have some of those? And immediately, little red cap's like, that's a great idea. I think I'm going to stray from the path and go find these temptations that you're leading me to. 
Without any argument, without any moment of consternation, she just immediately buys into it, and also at the same time telling that big bad wolf, who at this point is not even in disguise, hey, maybe you want to go check out my grandma's place as well. Let me tell you exactly where it is. And so the wolf goes on ahead of little Redcap, and what does he do? Is he outwitted by the grandma, or does she escape? No, he eats grandma. The wolf eats grandma, guys. It's terrifying. I'm reading this saying, oh, no, there goes grandma. And here comes little Redcap, and there she, she is, and she, there's the, the wolf now, and he is disguised and dressed up like grandma, whom he's eaten. And, oh, what big eyes you have, what big nose you have, what a big mouth you have. The better to eat you with, my dear. Oh, but not to fear. Little Redcap, she outsmarts Satan, and she, or I'm sorry, the wolf, right, and she escapes. No, little Redcap also is eaten. Like, oh, this is getting kind of grim, which was the name of the guys who wrote it, so I guess that makes sense. But that's not where the story ends, as the Brothers Grimm told it. As the story continues, there's a hunter who has been seeking that wolf. And he happens upon the cottage, and he flings open the door, and he sees the wolf, and this is what he says. There you are, you sinner. I've been looking for you. Didn't know a wolf could be a sinner, but there it is. And he comes in and he wrangles the wolf and he carves him open with his knife and he sets free the little red cap and her grandma who are still alive. It's okay, children, okay? You may have nightmares, but just so you know, they did survive. Now you probably see where I'm going with this, right? It's not a story about that obedient little red cap and her ingenuity able to outwit the one, the tempter, who was coming after her. Instead, it's a story about help from without, about a Savior who came and set her free in spite of her idiocy. This is the hope and the promise that you and I have. This is what we cling to, not that we are able to outwit and outlast the wolf, Satan, but instead that you and I have a heavenly hunter who has come and fought on our behalf, that you and I have a champion who has come to fight that greater Goliath for us. He's not merely your example, see. He is your substitute. Christ Jesus is the one, the only one, who is able to stand toe-to-toe with the devil and defeat him on our behalf. He is the one who has gone there and who has done it for you. That's what this story is about. Not how to deal with temptation, but how Jesus dealt the ultimate blow to the devil and carved him up once and for all. And this is illuminated even further when we think about the the Old Testament background to this story as well. In the background of this story, we have the Israelites as they were wandering, not for 40 days, but for 40 years through the wilderness. And they were tempted and tested and tried in many and various ways. And they too had promised, like little red cap, we will be faithful, we will be obedient, and we will stray from the course, trust in other gods, run away from you, right? That's how the story goes again and again and again. Yet where they were faithless, now Jesus, the true Israelite, he has been faithful in the wilderness for us. And back even further than that, you have the story of Adam and Eve, 
When the devil, who's using the same tricks, you guys, you got to understand, Satan does not have any new tricks. In this respect, yes, he's just a silly old wolf. He is like the wily coyote. Because even back then, in the Garden of Eden, what is he doing to, to tempt and to lure away Adam and Eve? He's saying, oh, did God really say? Did God really say that if you took that fruit that you would die? Surely that could not be the case. All the way back then, the devil was trying to implant doubt in the hearts of Adam and Eve, and it, and it worked. They broke faith with God, followed Satan instead. But Jesus, the second and greater Adam, when Satan comes and tries to test him in the same way, if you are the Son of God, Jesus isn't taking that bait. He is the true and faithful Son of God. He is that second Adam, the one who has countered the devil's temptations faithfully on your behalf and mine. And where before paradise had been lost, the sin of Adam and Eve. Now paradise has been regained in and through our Lord Jesus, opening those gates to eternity and freeing us, carving open Satan's belly to set us free from slavery to him. Amen? And this is why we pray. This is why we pray. Lead us not into temptation. Why do we pray that? Because you can't handle it and neither can I. But Jesus can, and Jesus has for you. So what can we say then about how to deal with temptation? Are we just totally helpless, utterly helpless, and just leave it at that? Well, no. And in fact, I think we can understand how to live with temptation by looking at this pattern and this movement of our Lord's own ministry. So here's kind of how it went, right? You had Jesus was baptized... And straight away after being baptized, he's driven out into the wilderness, and there he is tempted, goes toe-to-toe -to -toe and defeats the devil. And then next, it's just kind of hinted at in Luke's gospel, but it's, it's made clear in the other gospels, next, Jesus goes to a place of respite and rest. You see this movement of baptism, of temptation, and then rest. I'd submit to you that this is kind of our Christian life in a nutshell. That you and I, this is the same movement that we live into and live from. That you are baptized just once, but that over and over again, we live into that baptismal identity as children of God. We recall, we reclaim who we are as those who are beloved of God, who we are in Christ. It starts with that identity. Then we go out into the world day by day, week by week. And we are, uh, encounter all sorts of temptations from the devil, from our, our sinful nature, from the world. We get beat up a little bit, and then we go back to our rest and respite in Christ. That says in Psalm 116, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. We live in that same cycle, day by day, week by week, year by year, of baptismal identity, trying tests and temptation, and then returning to our refuge. If I can give you an analogy, think of it like this. You remember the game Capture the Flag, right? The game you play as kids. So it's kind of like Capture the Flag. First of all, you get called and claimed and, and put on a team, right? And when we play at camp, you even put on one of those like jerseys that everybody has worn for 30 years. They're totally gross, right? God gives you not one of those old pennies, but he clothes you with the perfect spotless righteousness of Christ, okay? But, sticking with the analogy, so you are clothed and called and claimed onto that team. And then you are sent out. You're going out and you are encountering all kinds of trials and temptations. You're beaten up. You're falling down. Maybe you even get caught. 
But then you return to the safe place. You return to your refuge. Only to God and try it all over again. This is our life as believers. We remember who we are as God's children. Day by day, Martin Luther says, when you wake up, make the sign of the Holy Cross and say, I am God's child. I am baptized. Then we go out in the world and encounter all kinds of temptations. And, you know, so often when we talk about temptation, when we talk about sin, we think of those, if I can put it this way, little s sins, the things that are easy to recognize. It's not that they're unimportant. It's the kind of stuff that, you know, we thought were giants in that campus ministry. And it's not that they're unimportant, that they can't be stumbling blocks. But the real temptations, the real struggles that you and I encounter are, if you will, first commandment kind of things. Those things that tempt us to put our fear, our love, and trust in other things. When we are tempted to derive our security from the things and the powers of this world. When we're tempted to swear allegiance to some Lord other than the true Lord. When we're tempted to, to fear things greater than fearing Him and Him alone. Those are the real temptations to find your identity, to, to derive your sense of, of who you are from something or someone else, or even, as Satan would love to tempt each and every one of us, to despair and to doubting that you are beloved of God. Those are the real temptations. But you encounter that, and you flee to Christ, who is your refuge. As we sing in our wonderful hymn, A Mighty Fortress, which we'll sing to close worship today, no strength of ours can match his might, that is, the devil's might. We would be lost, rejected. But now a champion comes to fight, whom God himself elected. You ask who this may be? The Lord of hosts is he, Christ Jesus, mighty Lord, God's only son adored. He holds the field victorious. We fail. We fall. We don't slay our giants. But our heavenly hunter, Christ Jesus, he can, he has, and he does for you. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing the offertory.